0: All right, let's uh, go ahead and look at the Word of God. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Now, in verses 1 through 9, to sum it up, God calls Moses after he spends... Many, many, many years in the wilderness, God calls him to go back to Egypt and to confront Pharaoh and pretty much demand that Pharaoh let the Israelites go. God calls him to do this. Moses hesitates. Moses makes excuses. Moses says, I'm not a good speaker and all this other stuff. And so God, in his grace arranges uh, his brother Aaron to meet up with him. And then he has Aaron speak on Moses' behalf. All right, this is where we are up to chapter 5. So Moses and Aaron, they go up to Pharaoh. And verse 1, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I may hold a f- uh, the AC is jacking up my pages here. here. Turn off the uh, side-to-side AC. Gloria, you know how to do it? No, you got to use the remote right there. Okay. So, can you do it? Uh, Gloria, okay, you do it. Okay. <laughs> and Pharaoh said, oh, it's all up on me right now. <laughs> that way. Point it that way. That's all on me right now. Okay, that's good. Now it's back. <laughs> Let me try. That's okay. All right. All right, just be patient, everyone. Hey, praise the Lord for AC, though, huh? Praise Team said. And I did it for y'all, man. Every week I see y'all, like, come out, Look, like you're coming out of a ginger bong. I just feel so bad. So uh, we, we donated this for the sanctuary. Uh, why not? We've been, such, we've been blessed so much by the Achaia. And I thought it's a small thing for us to just be a blessing back to the mother church. Anyway, back to Exodus 5. Okay. So here Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Verse 2, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And so there's this exchange between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, man, who do you think you are coming up in this place and commanding and demanding that I let my slaves go? Man, are you crazy? right?" And Pharaoh is defiant. Pharaoh adamantly says no. Uh, when Moses was younger, Moses, if you guys know his story, he actually grew up In the house of the former pharaoh. Because his mother, at that time, all the Hebrew babies were being killed. His mother put him into a basket. And you guys might have saw Prince of Egypt. I mean, it's not biblically accurate, but some of the images, you know, it stays with you. And the baby, you know, goes down the stream. And little Miriam is singing, you know. And Miriam actually, in the Bible account, follows the baby. And then watches as the baby is drawn out of the water and into the former Pharaoh's house. Alright. And so they raise him there and they educate him. So, so when Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. Alright. You gotta, you can't take that at face value. He was actually educated in the Egyptian education system, which was far better than whatever the Hebrews got. Right. Because they were just in slavery. And, uh, anyway, uh, he grows up and as a young man, he senses the call of God on his life that he is to save his people, Israel. Out of Egypt's hand. And when he was younger, he took this call and he tried to fulfill it in his own way. And what happened? All right. He's, one day he's walking about and there's an Egyptian that's just beaten on one of the Hebrew slaves. One of the Israelites. And then when Moses lo- I mean, looks around and he doesn't see anybody, he goes up and he kills the Egyptian slave master. And then buries him in the dirt somewhere. Right? And so, when Moses tried to fulfill God's call his own way, things got bad. And then not only that, right after that, things got worse. Why? Because one day Moses is thinking, man, nobody knows, nobody saw what happened. And then he sees two of his, uh, Israelite brothers fighting. And he's like, hey y'all, hey y'all, y'all are brothers. Why are you fighting? This, this black on black violence is wrong. Like that kind of like, you know, like, this Hebrew on Hebrew violence, this kind of fighting needs to stop. Y'all not get off chill, right? And then they're like, who made you judge over us? What, you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? So Moses realized that people, there were witnesses that saw him murder the Egyptian. And then things not only got bad, but it went worse from there because the Pharaoh of that time found out, and the Bible says he sought to kill Moses. So Moses... Went into the wilderness. That's a message right there. It's not enough just to sense the call of God on your life. When you sense the call of God on your life, you not only have to discern his call for your life and get the details of his life, but you got to fulfill his call according to God's ways. Because when you fulfill God's call according to your ways, you're going to get into trouble. And you might end up on a detour that God never ordained or intended for you. Now, fast forward many, many, many years of wilderness later. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses is beckoned back to the call of God to save his people out of Egypt. The burning bush, you guys know the whole scene. God calls Moses back to his call. And then this time, Moses chooses to do things God's way. And things still go bad. Hallelujah. <laughs> and not only does it get bad, because the new Pharaoh says, Man, are you crazy? I'm not letting nobody go. Get out of my face, right? Not only do they see Pharaoh saying no. But things go from bad to worse because Pharaoh decides to take away the straw that the Israelites were using to build bricks for all the Egyptian monuments and then required the Israelite slaves to bring in the same quota of bricks. So what ended up happening is when you don't have straw and they weren't, the straw weren't supplied anymore, they have to go and get their own straw. And when you go and looking for straw and you don't, you never got into the business of getting straw, It's going to take a lot of time. And by the time you come back with the straw you think you need, you don't have enough time to build enough bricks for the day. And so what was happening was people, a lot of Israelites were getting beaten all across the country. And so Moses fulfills God's call, God's way, and things go from bad to worse. And then if you read in verse 21, we read this. The Israelite leaders, they come up to Pharaoh and they're like, hey, Pharaoh, what's up? Look, we weren't like revolting. We weren't rioting. Why are you make man? Look, it's your slave masters is going a little crazy because this past week, what happened was we were making bricks. We were doing good. We were building up the all these huge pyramids and stuff for you. And check it out. The crazy slave masters. They like we're taking away your straw. And we're like, what you talking about? And then they were like, and you gotta meet the same quota. And we're like, that's crazy. And then they started beating us when we didn't do it. Hey, don't people going crazy, Pharaoh? You need to talk to them. And Pharaoh's like, no, I did it. I'm responsible for that. Because y'all, y'all are idle. Y'all are idle. That's why y'all coming up to me and saying, uh, let us go up into the mountain and worship worship God, and all this stuff. Let us go and worship God. And then the Hebrews are like the Israelites, Hebrews, the same thing. They're like, Man, wh- where'd you we didn't say that? Who told you that? This guy named Moses and Aaron. So the, the Israelite leaders they're leaving Pharaoh's presence, and then they see Moses and Aaron waiting. And this is what, what they say to Moses and Aaron, verse 21. They said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses obeys God's call. God's way. And things go from bad to worse. And the very people that Moses is trying to help. Blame Moses for the new suffering that they are under. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in here have ever experienced something similar to what Moses is going through right here. You know, sometimes you obey the Lord and you follow His leading and you do things His way and you continue to obey even when things get tough. And as you're obeying, things go from bad to worse. Other times, you begin to pray for a situation and the moment, the week of... That day you started praying for that situation. That situation gets, goes from bad to worse. You're praying, you're fasting, you're stepping out in obedience. You're covered by your spiritual leaders. You're walking blameless before God and His wisdom and counsel. But things keep going from bad to worse to worse. And hence the title of today's message, When Things Get Worse. Now, it's one thing to experience when things get worse when it's your fault. Like when Moses, when he was younger and he killed that Egyptian and he had to run away into the wilderness because Pharaoh was trying to kill him, Moses knew that was his fault. When things go from bad to worse when it's your fault, I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's a no-brainer. You don't have any problem with that. You're like, uh, I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. And so uh, now I'm paying for it, you know? But it's a totally different story when you feel like you're walking in God's wisdom, you're walking in accordance to His will, and things go from bad to worse. And you start to question yourself. Now today, I'm just going to cover three reasons why it might be getting worse. Three reasons why. And I'm going to try to work a miracle for you today by trying to preach a 35-minute message. I make no promises, but I said I'll try. (laughs) Number one, one reason, one of the three reasons why things might be getting worse. One, things are getting worse because it's a smokescreen of the enemy. Let's say you start praying for a sibling that has a physical illness. And you just come and you lay hands on that person and you're like, I command this sickness to leave this person's body. I I, I pray full healing onto this person's body, and that same afternoon the person's symptoms get worse. And the person's like, Man, what'd you do? Man, I don't want you to ever pray for me again. Man, my back ache got ten times worse, my headache, and then I had an earache that never was even there before. You know, and you're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll never pray for you again. Right? Real discouraging. And when things, when when you're doing the right thing and things get worse, we're tempted to think Am I doing something wrong? Did I not pray with the right words? Or number two, am I being punished? Are my prayers not being answered because of something previously I did wrong, like a few months ago, that I thought I was forgiven of? And maybe God's just punishing me. By not answering my prayers for three months or something like that? I don't know. People come up with creative like (laughs) conclusions of why things aren't going the way they think. Or number three, you might think like, am I missing it? Am I missing something? Because if I'm on it, things should be getting better. My siblings' symptoms should be disappearing. The person should be getting better. Why are they getting worse? And the more you pray, the worse it gets. And what I'm trying to say is number one reason why, first reason why things might get worse is because it's a smokescreen from the enemy. Satan is threatened by your prayers. Satan is threatened by your obedience. And he's trying to throw a smokescreen up at you to tell you your prayers are ineffective. And to tell you the more you pray, the worse it's going to get. So you better stop. And he's trying to throw up a smokescreen in our eyes because he knows that you are close to your breakthrough. And so he tries to stop you. He tries to take you off the path of faith and into unbelief. Brothers and sisters, when this happens, we must refuse to come in agreement with the lies of the enemy. I'm going to give you an example. A year, a year ago about a a little over a year ago, we were praying for North Korea. And we pray for North Korea each week. And we believe here at New Philadelphia Church that God is about to open wide the doors of North Korea. And that reunification is just going to be just imminent. And really, it's just drawing closer and closer and closer. And God is just mobilizing the prayers of the saints to set this all up. North Korea is going to open up, y'all. Reunification, like... I'm telling you right now, I say it over and over again. World Cup team, right? There's no, there's no longer going to be a South Korea and North Korea World Cup team. It's going to be one Korea team. And then hopefully they'll advance to the finals. And then the whole world will be like, wow, where did this team come from? And then people will, and then people will do documentary videos about the story of Korea's history. You know, and things like that. And, 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 and KTX trains. This is going to be like an hour up to Pyongyang. It's so close. Do you guys know that? If we drive up to Pyongyang, it ain't that far. Pyongyang is closer than Busan. And uh, we just believe and are trusting the Lord that we just see prophetic signs that God is opening up and readying the doors of North Korea to open up, right? So last year on March 26th, it was a Friday night, right? Gloria, March 26th, we had a... We had a night where Pastor John Michael from the ETL campus, he preached a message called, Why Pray for North Korea? And he showed us like videos and painted us a picture of the North Korean refugee situation in China and all these things. And he just started to stir us up to begin to pray for North Korea. And we just prayed that night with fire. We just started really pressing in like we'd never done before with just a passion and a compassion. And then as we went home, I got a text message from Gloria. And she was like, like all like frantic. She was like, "Oh no, there was like a warship that just sank," and I don't know what she wrote. Like, "We're going into war" or something. And, uh, you, you didn't say that. I'm sorry. I just, I just added that to make it make it seem more dramatic. I'm sorry. God's teaching me not to do that. <laughs> anyway, she was she was she was a little bit frantic, and she was like, you know, if there's a warship that just sank. What you know, what should we do and all this stuff? We gotta pray more. And and I go home and I read about. The Chonan worship. That's the same night. Almost the same hour we were praying. The Chonan worship sank. And then I started hearing all these charismatic prophetic ministries. And we we love some of these ministries. But you know. know, Some of them have never stepped foot in Korea. They don't even know anything about the Korean people. And there are certain people that are prophetic. That like to uh, declare judgment. the, the, The instant something happens. And sometimes this could be accurate. This could be true. But in this case, I just felt like they're completely off. Because all these like people, like prophets in Africa, they were like, you know, Korea is going to be destroyed by the hand of God unless they repent, and this is a sign of this judgment that's about to come on Korea. And I was just like, man, I just don't feel that in my spirit. I don't bear witness with that. You know what I really think it is? I think it's a smokescreen of the enemy, Satan being completely be just and upset (laughs) that more and more of God's people are praying with authority, praying with fire. He sank that turn on worship in order to scare us, in order to make us seem like your prayers did nothing. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Trying to stop that too. I haven't done that in a while imitate satan and stuff anyway i heard it scares some people so i'll stop that um but yeah and we just we just sense in our spirits no this is a smoke screen of the enemy so you know what we did in response a couple months later we called a 21 day fast in june and we had the entire church do it not day by day where people are like teaming. I do one day, you do the next day, you do the next two days, I do the next two days. No, we had over 130 people fast for 21 days straight in the month of June. And we had uh, five nights of prayer and worship. We had three all-night prayer meetings. I mean, we just like poured it out and just said, You know what, Satan? If that's the way you're going to respond, this is the way we're going to respond. Take that right in the mouth, punk. (laughs) Right? What's going through my mind? Uh, and so, yeah, we prayed, and and then we started hearing all these amazing news about the uh, currency debacle, and uh, there was more starvation that was going on from inside information we had gotten, and, and we're praying about that, and then the currency debacle came to an end because they realized it was a stupid idea, and then they ended up executing some scapegoat guy, and, and, uh, and then we just hear, started hearing about changes in political policy, because the... Uh, a uh, prophetic word that I got on March 26. And usually I don't give like national prophetic words. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't do that all the time. But that well, that night, I just got a strong word of the Lord. It was that night, right? I got a strong word of the Lord that in this year, God's going to bring a political shift that's going to prepare the way for the doors of North Korea to open. And that same night, because of the Chennai worship, the United States of America changed their political stance with North Korea. South Korea, overnight, changed their political stance with North Korea. Japan, overnight, they, they were trying to evacuate U.S. Marines out of Okinawa. And that was a huge political issue for the Prime Minister to get elected into office. And that Prime Minister went back on his word and said, we're not evacuating nobody. Japan changed their political stance. And then later, late in the year, we found out that although China has not like officially changed the political stance so inside of Beijing, there's informal talk that all of Beijing government, not all, but there's talk. All right, I'm sorry, I don't want to exaggerate. There's talk of unofficial uh, uh, people that don't want to be named. They said uh, that Beijing's desire is to see one Korea under Seoul's government. These are huge political shifts that happened all within one year. And, of course, Kim Jong-il's health deteriorated very quickly. And he had to start looking into a success, a successor to take over. So all that stuff happened in 2010. But the temptation might have been to believe because later on Satan did another smoke screen with the, uh, with the, um, Yang, Yang Pyeong, Young, young, pyong, young pyong, the island shelling. And Satan's like, ha ha ha, look, look, all your prayers are nothing. I'm going to do whatever I want. And it's actually not true. It's Satan throwing up a smokescreen. He's trying to convince us that things are going from bad to worse. But heaven is saying, keep praying. Your breakthrough is coming close. The time is drawing near. The bowls of heaven, which represent the prayers of the saints for North Korea, are being filled to the brim. There's little drops that are coming out of that cup because the prayers of the saints is continuing to fill that cup. Time will come. Um, another example that uh, where things went from bad to worse, but it was actually a smoke screen of the enemy, is in uh, the joint prayer meeting. And I never shared this because, you know, it's a little bit sensitive to share this, but I'm going to be a little reckless today. I'm going to share the inside story behind the joint prayer meeting. Um, we started the joint prayer meeting along with Onali's English ministry uh, back in 2000 nine no 2008 yeah late uh, november of 2008 we started a joint prayer meeting which is a monthly prayer meeting for english-speaking congregation members from all over the Seoul area and so we were meeting every single month on the third saturday uh, mostly with onuri and new philly but also there'll be jubilee people that will come and I, we people that would come and we would just pray every, every uh, third Saturday of the month. And we're just going for it. For two years, we went strong. And then Pastor Paul's church, uh, burning lamp, they joined in as well. And, and it was powerful. People were getting saved at the joint prayer meeting. People were getting baptized in the spirit for the first time at the joint prayer meeting. Words of knowledge were going out and people were getting healed and delivered at the altar ministries. I mean, it was powerful. I mean, some of those altar ministries were more powerful than things that we even see on the Sunday service here. There was just a power that was released when God's people got together like that. And so we were hopeful that we would just continue to move forward and run strong. And then the summer of last year, um, relationally, I approached uh, Jubilee's leadership about coming on as a formal, committed church for the joint prayer meeting. And so, you know, I, I asked them and they said, well, this is a decision we can't just make. We need to discuss it with the elders. So they took all summer to kind of discuss it. And make a long story short, they decided uh, this is not something that we want to formally commit to uh, because there are certain things that ministry philosophies that we just don't see eye to eye on right now. Okay, and so I was like, "Cool, all right, that's all good. Can we still use your facility?" <laughs> and Pastor Dave said, "You know, you know, you can just use it all you want. You know what? Just go ahead and use it. But uh, we're just going to we're going to continue to announce it, but it's going to be an informal commitment on our part, right?" And so. That was a little disappointing, but I was just really thankful for Jubilee's informal support. And we have that friendship that continues till today. Um, but then shortly thereafter, as you guys know, without going into details, uh, the Burning Lamp church plant closed down. And so one of our three partners was committed. Uh, they had to shut down their church. And so we lost Burning Lamp around November of last year at the two-year mark. And then in December, uh, Onuri English Ministry approached me and they presented that they, their staff had made a decision to pursue other interests for the upcoming year. And I, and I blessed them to do that because one of the things they're pursuing is the call to um, abolitionist movement to bring freedom to human trafficking, all this stuff, to put that issue out there. And Onuri has the scale and the multi. Uh, they're at that scale and level where they can really do that well. So they're doing that, and they're hosting actually a conference this month about uh, not for sale, it's about human trafficking. But they decided in order to pursue certain interests that they were going to let joint prayer meeting go. And so December of this past year, I was very discouraged, to tell you the truth. And it was hard. I couldn't really announce it and things like that because, you know, it's kind of hard to like explain everything, and everyone doesn't know the whole story and stuff. And everyone doesn't know the dynamics I have. I have good relationships and friendships with all these pastors, you know, Pastor Paul, Pastor uh, Eddie, Pastor David. You know, I love them all with my heart, all my heart. I, I love them, and I love working with them. But you know, in their own interest, they had to make these decisions, and they made these decisions. And so I started to think, it's all my fault. And I started thinking it's because i'm offensive (laughs) and every time i led prayer at the joint prayer meeting i said offensive things and i did i did say a lot of (laughs) offensive things and uh you know there's things i should have done that i didn't do and and all these things and so i started blaming myself and but uh when i asked the lord what should i do the lord said keep on meeting so I discussed it with the core leaders and I said, what, what should we do? And they're like, I think we should keep on meeting. So let's go ahead and keep on meeting. Well, you know, it's not a joint prayer meeting if it's just New Philly, you know. Well, we're like, well, there's New Philly Hillside and New Philly ET1. So it's really like two <laughs> churches coming together. So it's still like a joint prayer meeting, all right. <laughs> and uh, we'll keep it open and we'll continue to announce it. And whoever wants to come, they can keep coming out. But the thing is, this is more than just a fellowship thing. It's more than just a unity thing as much as those... Two things are very valuable. This is about praying for this nation. It's about praying for North Korea. It's about continuing to keep that fire burning. Continuing to, you know, fill up the bowls of heaven with prayer. So we just felt like it was important to keep on going. And we just felt, and fruit-wise, there was so much fruitfulness from the joint prayer meeting. So many people's lives changed that we felt like we, we, shouldn't, we can't put an end to that. We just got to keep on meeting. And so we decided to keep on meeting. But you know what? Frankly, I felt pretty foolish. You know, oh look at New Philly there—they're having a joint prayer meeting. I wonder who they are having joint prayer meeting with. And and nobody said that, but that's what I felt. And I just wanted to say, hey, hey, this is still a joint prayer meeting. You know, and I was getting really discouraged. And then Pastor Benjamin came in December, and on December 17th Friday, uh, he prophesied over me. And he said this, I'm going to read it to you verbatim. He said, the joint prayer meeting is not over. It's not done with. There is no loss. There is no loss. The devil wants you to think that everything is lost, that everyone has turned away. Everyone has walked away, but it's a smokescreen and it's a lie because the opposite is happening. The Lord says that there is a great ingathering that is coming, a great coming together. And the Lord says, I've already begun to stir hearts. And I've already begun to turn hearts towards you. And the Lord says, don't worry about it. It's in my hands. You continue to gather. You continue to meet. It is not done. I am not done with it, declares the Lord. I've only just begun. I've only just begun, declares the Lord. There is no loss. The season of loss is over. It's over. It's done with. And it's come to an end. And now there is only increase. Because you walk in the blessing of Abraham. Hallelujah. What you are doing is you're breaking up the fallow ground in this city, in this nation. So you are never to be moved when you see the fallow ground of religion. For I put a sledgehammer in your hand and a jackhammer to break it up. And uh, our, our core leaders, some of our core leaders were there and they heard this prophecy. And for me, man, this was, this just really hit my heart. Because it really described what I was going through in terms of struggling about how to think about it and just feeling embarrassed about continuing to meet, continuing to lead it. And I, and I and this and this word just came and it just made so much sense. It brought so much clarity. It brought it brought things into order in my heart. And so I realized that. What I thought was things going from bad to worse because of Pastor Christian's offensiveness, because of his insensitivity. God was saying, no, that's a smokescreen of the enemy. The devil's trying to convince you it's all your fault. But in fact, the opposite is happening. You keep on meeting. You keep trusting me. And there will be a great gathering." And so that's why our leaders, it looked like we didn't skip a beat. You know, you guys probably never saw it. You didn't see it on our face like, oh, we're here at joint prayer meeting. These poor people, they don't know what's going on. No, we, we, we didn't skip a beat. We just went right into it. And we said, we're going to keep on meeting. We're going to keep on praying. And people kept on coming out. And praise the Lord, you know, um, you know God also began to open up a relationship with Pastor Johnny and Third Wave And they started to really send their people, and we've been so encouraged to have them run with us. And then there's still, you know, different people from all the other churches that come out. You know, little by little, they still come out. You know, when we had the IHOP guest speakers, you know, they all came out. But, you know, I don't like that. I don't like that. I mean, I'm glad that they come out and join us for when guest speakers come. But like I said last night, the joint prayer meeting is not about guest speakers. The only guest speaker that, that we really want to spotlight every single month is Jesus. Because as Pastor Jim Symbolo said at Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, you can tell how popular a local church is by who shows up to Sunday service. You can tell how popular a guest speaker is by who shows up to the conference. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who shows up to the prayer meeting. We shouldn't need an entertainment element, a praise team element, a guest speaker element to show up. It should be all about Jesus. And so, you know... For the people, there's a solid core of people that show up every single month. And we're continuing to meet and hold on to this word because it's a lie of the enemy. There is no loss. This is just a smokescreen. Secondly, another reason why things may go from bad to worse is because God is setting you up. Actually, the devil doesn't even have anything to do with it. It's God. He's the one setting you up. You see, here in Exodus chapter 5, I don't know if Moses and Aaron ever thought it, but they might have been tempted to think, oh, that devil got all up in Pharaoh's head and made Pharaoh do- uh, uh, take away the straw and make it, a- uh, and get all these people beaten. Man, stupid devil. They, I don't know if they were ever tempted to think that. But if you really read the inside story, you know who's responsible for the straw being taken away. It was God. But why was God doing this? Because God had predestined, pre planned for things to go from bad to worse. Because He wanted glory for Himself. And you have to understand that sometimes this is what God does. This, these are just His ways. Right now, uh, I shared this at Sunday Swim, but over at Living Hope Christian Center, which is Pastor Benjamin's church, Pastor Benjamin's my mentor. Over in Emeryville, California, where Pixar's headquarters are, the Living Hope Christian Center, their church, they got kicked out of their main sanctuary two weeks ago. So last week, they had to move everything out of their sanctuary, so my poor wife had to do some lifting and cleaning. Hallelujah. Uh, And... uh, They moved everything up to the second floor because they got kicked out of the first floor because a new tenant came in. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty rough. I mean, if next week, or let's say at the end of service today, the KM comes to us and says, you can't use the sanctuary anymore. And we're like, why? Because the choir got too big and the choir needs a place to practice so y'all can't worship here. So you have to worship in the Montessori, the children's building over there. That'd be rough. And we have to move all our stuff and set up our praise band. I mean, that's tough. That's exactly where living hope is at right now. And then that same week, Pastor Benjamin got kicked out of his home. Because, you know, all the foreclosures that are happening in America, it's real. I mean, people are given like one week's notice and and they're just kicked out of their home. And so they didn't have much time to, to pack and all that stuff. They just got rushed out of their home. They were like, you know what? Uh, we foreclosed. You're not, you're not able to make, uh, payments or whatever. And, and, and the, the, the home's value and all that stuff is crazy. So some people are just like, they don't know what to do. And so they got kicked out. And so now they're living over at, uh, Pastor Sonny's, uh, brother's place. And then on the same week, Pastor Benjamin, who's pursuing a PhD with Regent University, they decided to kick him out of the PhD program just because he's not making progress. But I, mean, I, I, I heard Pastor Benjamin's thesis. He shared with me his main idea, and it's awesome. It's, a, it's fresh revelation. It's exactly what the body of Christ needs to hear right now. And Gordon feeds like touching on it a little bit, but Pastor Benjamin's really developed it. And pretty much... Anyway, I can't explain it. I'll confuse some of y'all. Hallelujah. But well, once this, I, it needs to be published. I'm convinced it needs to be published. It needs to be written as a book. It needs to go out and bless the wider body of Christ. And it's going to revolutionize things. That's right. I think it's going to revolutionize things. He's got to complete his PhD program, but they took it away. <clears throat> and so Pastor Benjamin is like feeling like Job by this time, you know, you know, he loses his house. He loses his Ph.D. program. He loses his church building. I mean, think about it. It's like you ever been in a, in a fist fight on the streets and somebody hits you in the face and when you're recovering from getting hit in the face, they hit you in the stomach and you're like you're trying to recover from the hit on your stomach and they punch you in the mouth and then you're just bleeding and you're just... I don't know if you ever experienced that. It's a horrible <laughs> feeling. It just feels like you can't breathe. And, and uh, actually, he, um, he shared with us that he had a moment a lapse of unbelief where it just hit him all at once and he was just paralyzed. He couldn't move. And it was like something like a panic attack hit him. And he was vulnerable enough to share that with me. And I was like, man, if that was me, I don't know if I would just get a panic attack. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I would respond quietly. If <laughs> I try to take matters into my own hands. What do you mean foreclosure? I ain't going nowhere. Move me. Move my big screen TV. out. I wish you would. You know, I will smile a little differently. What? Anyway, um, as Pastor Benjamin was sharing and being vulnerable about all his, uh, the way he was wrestling with this, he just dropped a bomb at the end. He just said, you know what, but well, I'm not moved by all these natural situations. Everything I see in the natural. He, he was saying that uh, the PhD program, he's got to wait for the favor of God to be released. But he just believes that God is just setting him up. God is setting up his church. God is setting up his home. God is setting up his Ph.D. program for breakthrough. I mean, even if Satan... I don't even think Satan has the authority to hit you with three things like that. You know what I mean? If anything, I believe that God is taking what looks like a setback. And he's actually positioning everything for a setup for Pastor Benjamin's greatest breakthrough. Pastor Benjamin and Sonny's greatest breakthrough. And that's what God does in our lives sometimes. When things go from bad to worse, sometimes it has nothing to do with the devil. It's actually God who is setting things up for a glorious breakthrough. And then third reason why things may go from bad to worse is that actually God is, it's Satan involved, but God is actually allowing Satan's smoke screens to mess you up And then turning it for your good in order to set you up for your breakthrough. You guys get that? So sometimes it's just all Satan. Other times it's all God. And then other times God takes what Satan intended for evil and he turns it for your good. But you see, but you got to let God do that for you. But you got to stay in faith in order for God to do that in your life. Because the moment you step out of faith into fear and to anxiety that's when you start taking matters into your own hands and you start having Ishmaels and doing stupid things that God never intended for you so this is the third way right so this past week this past week my grandmother passed away my grandfathers both of them they passed away when i was really really young or before i was even born okay, thank you nuna my sister in there, back there, is telling me the family history. <laughs> She's always telling me family history while I'm preaching. I don't know how I came up with some of my family history. She's always like, "Who told you that?" I'm just, I'm just not good at Korean yet. Um, anyway, so all my grandparents have passed away, and this was the last grandparent that was living. My grandmother on my dad's side of the family, she's actually quite old. And uh, she had a f- hip fracture. He, she fell or something, and she got injured, and she was in the hospital. And we were just all expecting to have her recover, and then we will see her in Chusup. But for whatever complications, she suddenly died. And so she died this past week, right after Aaron left for California. And I was uh, just having these alone times with God. And uh, then I got the phone call that my gran- grandma had passed away. And so you know, this is tough to process because my grandma, as far as I know, was not a believer. So when you grieve, and some of you have may experienced this already, not only do I have to grieve that she's gone, but I have to grieve that I'm not going to see her again. I have to grieve that God's justice is done. I have to grieve and trust that God Will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. But that's tough. Theologically, biblically, when you study the Bible, it might make sense. But emotionally, that's tough to deal with. I was I was trying to process all of that. And as on the morning I'm ready to go down to Tegu with my dad, because my dad flew in from Philly to go to the funeral, because that's his mom. I get a I get a text message from my sister saying that my sister, I mean my, my mom in Philly that she got involved with a hit-and-run accident. So first thing I was thinking, did she do the hit-and-run? Because <laughs> that, that might have been true. Or, or, or then second, I was thinking, oh, no, was she hit-and-run like she was a pedestrian and she got hit-and-run? So I was all, like, messed up, and I was like, what's going on? And I call my mom, and she's not picking up. I call my sister, she doesn't pick up, and all stuff. And then finally I find out, I talked to my mom, and uh, she got rear-ended. And uh, this, this happened to me when I was, like, 15, when I, before I had a driver's license. I got rear-ended, you know, and then the guy was on drugs or something because he just scraped my mom's car and just kept on going. And then my mom was such in shock that she couldn't catch the, the license plate number. And on top of that, you know, my mom was uh, waking up and feeling really depressed because she loved my grandma, even though that wasn't her actual mother. She really loved my grandma. Mama, my grandma had come and lived in the States with us in Philly, uh, for a period of like over a year, um, you know, I grew up with my grandma. She's the one that really just, you know, uh, I remember when I was like, this is nasty. But I, I remember when I was four, five years old, four or five years old. You know, Korean kids when they're four and five, this is normal, by the way. They sometimes they thong in their pants. They go doo doo in their pants, and uh, I know that's nasty. Any of the white folks ever experienced that? No? No? Any of my Chinese brothers and sisters? Nobody? All right. Well, I'm telling you right now, Koreans, it's normal, okay? It's not just me. No, Doug is bless you. I know Doug. <laughs> Doug, you've done it. <laughs> Don't try to lie. Hey, my, my grandma, she was, you know... She would clean me up, and she would spank me and clean me up at the same time <laughs> and uh, you know i 'm just trying to deal with that, and then and then my my mom is going through all this, and then you know our hearts are breaking because we can 't be with her, uh, just even to console her as she you know, had the hit and run experience and so man, it, was, it just felt like man, things were going from bad to worse and um and, but you know, I just sensed in my heart that God was setting up my my dad's side of the family for breakthrough. You know, we've been pr- we've been pro- there's prophecies for May for this year that this is the year of breakthrough for lots of families, and we've had every single Sunday. I, I haven't counted, but it seems like every single Sunday this year, somebody's parents are visiting. And then behind those stories, there's breakthroughs, there's healing, there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation that's happening salvation that's happening, physical healings that are happening. And so I'm just trusting that for my, for my dad because my dad, if you don't know, is an atheist. In fact, he's not just an atheist. He hates Christianity. Because a corrupt form of Christianity he saw in Tegu growing up. He just thought that they were the most wicked people on the earth. And so my dad, he does not like Christianity at all. And uh, I'm just trusting that the Lord is going to awaken him, revive him. And and Pastor Paul and I are actually trusting that the Lord is going to raise up my dad as an evangelist. Because he's... You think I have charisma? Man, you got to meet my dad. You should meet my dad. My dad's got charisma. And I realized that when we were down there at the funeral... He just came in the room and the whole room lit up. Everybody wanted to talk to him. And all my aunts and uncles are all crying and then they were like, Oh, you know, you know you know, and then my, they were talking about my dad and saying, Oh, no 멋있어, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, something like that. They were saying saying him, And uh, I believe and I trust that God's gonna awaken him. And send them to the nations. Send them all over Korea. Preaching a message that's got no religious bone in it because he hates religion. He's a passionate heart kind of guy. And so, you know, I just trusted that this whole funeral and and my grandma's sudden death, untimely death, was uh, actually God moving to set things up for a big breakthrough. So I went down to Daegu. And it was amazing. It was the first time that my dad's whole side of the family was reunited. Ever since my sister and I left for the States, it was the first time that we were all reunited. I have all these cousins. <laughs> By the way, one of my cousins got matte plastic surgery, and she looks like a, like a supermodel now. <laughs> and she was already cute and pretty. I don't know why she had to go through all that. But, uh... You anyway, she she looks she looks great, so i 'm not saying I'm, i don 't promote ta surgery, but i 'm saying she she looks great, and I hope that she really gets spiritually awakened too and um. but uh, I was down there, and the whole family was gathered together, and we were just you know serving and helping out with the funeral arrangements and lifting the uh, the casket and then comforting and grieving ourselves and all this stuff. And, um, something happened. I can't describe it. But I was having dinner at Peking Duck. <laughs> Beijing Duck, you know. And we're eating duck. And, um, <laughs> and when my, uh, Como's, they drink a little bit, they're able to be more free. And I, don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just drink a little bit, and, you know, it helps you kind of, Calm your, you know, your defenses and you're able to be more free. And she got a little bit of drink. She got a little something to drink. And then she called me over. And she just had me sit right next to her. And my kungomo and my 작은 고모, they just started to just speak over me. They're like, you know, when, you know, Seok-young, which is my Korean name, you know, Seokyung, you know, when he was younger, you know, he was so 사랑스러워. He was so lovable. He was so lovable. And then they were like, like, nah, yeah, uh, your sister didn't have that, but you had that. That was like, that's jacked up. But my comos were just like, speaking like all this like favor over me, and they know that I'm a moksani. They know that uh, I'm a pastor, and they don't you know, particularly like that because they think I can do a lot more other things and make more money and all this stuff. And they're they just like, you know, he's he's a different kind of pastor. I heard he's a different kind of pastor. I heard he's a funny pastor. I heard he's a likable pastor. I, you know, this is this is my nephew. And they're just pretty much like, they're showering me with favor. And I never experienced that in front of them. And I just felt like God was starting to really open up their hearts. Uh, one of my cousins, she just had a baby out of wedlock. And uh, she had been at the funeral earlier. But she went home. And when she heard that I arrived, she came all the way out and put her baby to sleep and put, gave all came all the way out just to see me. You know, and I, I kind of helped raise them when they were a uh, little bit, uh, when they were little. And, uh, you know, and she just saw me. And, you know, take people, they don't really give hugs. You know, they don't know what to do. I start going in for the hug, and then half my cousins are like. <clears throat> <laughs> it's funny. Isn't that funny? Uh, and by the way, my 35 minutes have been way up. I've, I've been... Usually I give up after I see the 8-minute mark pass by. I'm just like, you know what? Forget it, man. I'm going to keep on going. Anyway, um, there was a breakthrough that happened. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still grieving. I think I'm still mourning uh, the loss of my grandma. But uh, I'm just trusting the Lord that there's going to be massive awakening and revival for my dad's side of the family. There are some uh, romantic couples right now at our church, some of our key leaders that are in romantic relationships. And uh, almost all of them are having quite difficulty with their family. And uh, when I observe their situation, I don't think they're doing anything particularly wrong. I think they've been walking in the wisdom and counsel of God. They've been submitting the relationship to the church leaders They've been very pure and walking in accountability. And, and when I see them, I mean, I can discern, you know, over periods of time and prayer that, you know, that God's really done a good matchmaking work by bringing them together. But, you know, some of these couples, they're praying, they're fasting, they're acting in love and grace. But things keep on going from bad to worse, from worse to worse, sir, if there's a word like that. But I just want to speak to those people here today. Let me remind you. All right. God is still good. And though you may not see any results right away. He's making all things work together for your good. So don't be discouraged. And remember our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against the father-in-law. Or the mother-in-law or the cousins. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. As we continue to take the high road and act in grace and love and we continue to pray. I believe that God is setting you guys up for your greatest breakthroughs. Uh, and I just want to share quickly my own experience with my engagement. Um, Three years ago, I started dating Aaron. And then uh, we asked her parents, Is it okay? Can we have your blessing and prayers as we begin our relationship? And uh, they said no. And because I was a man in the ministry, I wanted to honor their wishes. So I broke up with Aaron. And it was one of the hardest things that we had to uh, ever do. And we just kind of broke up indefinitely, not knowing if we ever get back together. But during that breakup period, we were just praying and trusting that God was going to move. So we prayed. For a period of two months, we didn't see nothing. We didn't see no hint of breakthrough. And then at the end of those two months, we got a phone call from her dad. And her her dad was giving us the blessing to just go ahead and begin dating. But you are not to set a wedding date. So I was like, "I'll, I'll take that. Hallelujah. All right, Aaron, let's, let's meet up, you know, and, and uh, we started seeing each other. And then uh, we ended up being in New York at the same time for different weddings, and I actually got to meet her parents. And uh, they love me. <laughs> you know, they were concerned about me being a Campus Crusade staff because Campus Crusade staff have to support raise all their salaries. So I, I was support raising like, you know, two to $3,000 a month for me to pay rent, all this stuff. It's a life of faith, I'll tell you. But, man, I'll tell you, man, every, every one of my six years with full-time staff, God was overflowing my cup. I mean, I made more money when I was with Campus Crusade staff in one year than I did with all my years here as a full-time pastor of your church. Not that y'all don't pay me well, but I'm just saying, God will always overflowed my cup when I was on staff. But they didn't understand that. They thought I was a beggar. You know, a lot of Korean parents think support raising is begging. So they don't like it when their children do that stuff. And they don't want to have their daughter meet and marry somebody that's doing that. Anyway, but when they met me, some of those walls came down because they were like, oh, this guy. He's got charisma. <laughs> I kid you not. We went to start like we didn't plan on it. We were just going to eat dinner. And I was just going to go back. And uh, I was staying with Paul and I was just going to go back to Paul's house. And right after dinner, they were like, let's go to Starbucks. I was like, all right. Echa And, and we go to Starbucks. I kid you not. True story. True story. We go to Starbucks. And her mom instantly starts to share about her life. About like she almost committed suicide and was depressed. All these things that she had never told anybody. And she's like, I never told anybody. I don't know why I'm telling you right now. And she started to cry. And I was like, Oh, hallelujah. It's all right, 어머님, 어머님, 괜찮습니다. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so anyway, we 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 said goodbye, and you know they really liked me, um, and I thought they liked me enough that you know if the relationship's going well, that they will give me their blessing for me to get engaged. So about a, a month and a half later, I called up her dad, and I was like, you know, this is uh, I'm really committed to your daughter, and I would really like to take care of her. And uh, I would like to actually propose to her and ask her hand in marriage. And uh, you know, I, I would like your permission to propose to your daughter. Now in Korean by the way, if you didn't know in Korean culture, that's American proposal is not the Korean idea of a proposal. The American idea of a proposal is you get down at one knee at a baseball game and you say, Will you marry me? And then the girl says, Yes, yeah. so and she puts on the ring and then they hug and everybody claps. That's America. In Korea, you do that. That's not considered a proposal. In Korea, the parents have to meet. And they don't even have to be a will you marry me thing. As long as the parents meet and the parents are like, all right. <laughs> that's it. Now you're, you're engaged. That's it. That's, that's the Korean. And they're, they're trying to bring a little bit of Western you know, elements of proposals into their Korean dramas and trying to trick people that this is the way they do it. But most Koreans don't do that. It's just meeting the parents. But I thought getting his permission was simply me getting down on one knee and asking, you know, for a hand in marriage. But his idea is a Korean idea. Anyway, I call him and I said, I would like your uh, permission to propose to your daughter. And uh, he was like talking about the wedding date. And I was like, I'm not even there yet. You know, I'm not, I'm not concerned with that. I just want to propose and be engaged to your daughter because I'm that committed to her. <clears throat> and, uh. He was like, no, no, you know what? I think it would be better if you graduate from seminary, all this stuff. And in three, four years, we'll consider maybe saying yes to you guys getting married. And I'm like, what? What? why are you stuck on the wedding day? I'm not there. I just want to propose. And so I said, I asked, uh, <laughs> That means Why? And in Korean culture, what I found out through my time living here for the last six years is, any time you say "why," you ask "why" to a Korean adult, things blow up quickly. <laughs> oh man, things blow up, and so he blew. He 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 got upset, and he was like, "What you mean, why? <laughs> I never asked my daddy why. What you talk about, why? You, you 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 who you think you are? He's, I, I don't remember half the things he said." He was just angry. And I was like, but I'm so goal-oriented, I was like, but I must get his permission for the proposal. So I was like, <laughs> 알겠습니다. 예, yeah, 죄송합니다. 죄송합니다. 그런데 그, uh, <laughs> Proposal은 그냥 허락 주세요. 예, yeah, Proposal 하고 싶습니다. And then he's like, 마음대로 <laughs> 해! So I, I was like, Uh, he said, "Do whatever you want, right?" Which I thought was okay. You can you can ask her, but in Korean, it's like, "I dare you. I wish you would. I wish you would. You know." And uh, I didn't understand that. So uh, that same week, that same week, I proposed to Aaron. And so the whole church, man, they came out, a lot of uh, uh good friends from Jubilee, everywhere they all came out to my apartment with this wonderful celebration and it was beautiful, it was like really God orchestrated, it's on my Zenga site if you want to take a look. And uh But the next day, Aaron's just like pissed. Aaron's just upset, crying, and I'm just like, What's going on? And she's just like, I don't know why, but my whole family is against me right now. And they said that, you know, Christian, you've gone too far. And the whole family, all my cousins, they're all upset at you. I don't know. What did you do? <laughs> I don't know. I just got his permission. <laughs> I sincerely didn't know what happened. At that moment, I didn't know what happened. I thought I done took the right steps. And then, anyway, uh, things got really bad after the proposal. And then here's the thing. Things got worse. Because a few weeks later... Her cousins start calling and say, yeah, you know, your mom is sick in bed right now. She's not eating. She's got headaches. She can't get out of bed. Yeah, you know, this is this is all your fault. You know, that's kind of the message she was hearing. I don't know if that's what the cousin said, but that's what she started hearing. So she got all filled with guilt. And she was just really taking it hard. And so the joy of the engagement, all this stuff, and my Aaron was just going through a really hard time right after engagement. And when things got bad, things went from bad to worse, to worse. And her mom was still still in bed and all this stuff. And so at the beginning of two thousand and eight, Aaron and I went on a seven day fast together, praying for breakthrough for her mom's healing and revival. And you guys, some of you already know the story. Within the same month we fasted and prayed, her mom went to a conference in Boston hosted by Pastor Elijah Kim. Uh, he's a pastor from Yoida Full Gospel Church. And he was teaching on the gift of prophecy that day. And he called out a random person from the crowd to demonstrate the gift of prophecy on that person. And that person was Aaron's mom. And she was reluctantly there because the other deaconesses had told her to go or urged her to go. And she came up to the front and by the way, we saw this on video because somebody videotaped it and put it on the internet. <laughs> Isn't that like God? To just be like, let me show you what really took place. So we're watching this video. Aaron's in tears. And then he starts to prophesy over her the things that she shared with me at the Starbucks. You know, you were in dep- severe depression, you were just going to end your life at one point. And she starts to cry. But the Lord saved you because the Lord loves you. And he's got a purpose and plan for you. I don't know what he prophesied, but he just started prophesying. And in the middle of his prophecy, she falls down to the ground, gets slain in the spirit. And then he just goes on and keeps on teaching. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got the inside story later. Her mom told us what happened when she got on the ground. She said the, this light... She just sensed and felt and saw light and just flooded her entire being. And she just felt this light was pushing out all her depression. And then when she got up after like several, you know, 45 minutes, whatever, on the ground, when she got up, all the depression was gone. And she was completely healed. She also got spirit-filled right in that moment. And then she, I don't know if she ever had Prayed in tongues before, but now she was praying in tongues and open to all these spiritual gifts. And then different people prophesied over her and said, "Do you know why you're going through this revival?" And she said, "I don't know." And like some fellow church leader said, "It's because your daughter and his fiance and her fiance are praying for you. That's what the Lord says." And so she calls up Aaron and says, "You know, Aaron, Fiona." Have you been, have you and the Christian been praying for me? And then my, and then Pastor Aaron's like, <laughs> <laughs> When things go from bad to worse, brothers and sisters, don't get discouraged. Keep on being your best. Keep on praying. Keep on walking in the will of God. Keep on going forth. Because you're closer to your breakthrough than you know. And you know what? This is a message for the whole body of Christ right now. Because in the future, there's going to come a day where things are going to get bad in these last days. Now, I know we're supposed to advance the kingdom and we're supposed to shine God's goodness and light into a dark world. And we are to do that. We are to do that passionately. But there's going to come a time in all of that where things are going to culminate and things are going to go from bad to worse in these last days. And Revelation chapter 12 talks about it like this. Revelation 12:12 12, 12 says, "Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short." As we approach the last days, brothers and sisters, certain things are going to go from bad to worse. But that is not the time to give up or doubt or to abort. That's actually signs that we are closer to our breakthrough than we've ever been before. These are signs that Jesus Christ is right at the doorstep about to make his grand entrance and return in all of his glory and to gather all the redeemed. For that great and glorious day of the Lord. So when things go from bad to worse. Stay in faith. And keep moving forward brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father we just thank you so much God that. You are the God that. Watches over our every move. If the birds of the air and the flowers of the field are taken care of, how much more will you clothe us and feed us as you are our heavenly father? And so God, right now today, I just pray encouragement into every and any heart that has been experiencing something where things are going from bad to worse. Where they're praying about a situation and things are getting worse. Where they're obeying you and things are deteriorating. Finances are not coming in. People are opposing them. God, I just pray, Father Lord, that you would just strengthen such people today with your shalom peace, God. May your shalom, may your peace guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So that there will be no room for anxiety, no room for fear, no room for doubt. But we know that God, that just as you set up Moses, Lord, you're setting up your people at this hour with signs and wonders and miracles for a great and glorious breakthrough. And so father, we just place our trust in you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.